Hi, Dr. Sasha here from Koji Australia. And today in part 5D of our Moving Your Career to Australia podcasts, we are going to be chatting about the AMC2. Hi, everyone. So today we have a very special guest again here with us having a chat about AMC2. We have my friend and colleague Brendan with us. Brendan, nice for you to be here. Hi, Sash. Thanks again for having me here. I really appreciate it. Thank it's a humbling experience again to be <laughs> called back. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and chat to us. It's always a pleasure. And um, to tell the listeners a little bit about AMC2, considering the fact that Caroline and I both haven't done AMC2, we actually both did the work-based assessment pathway. So your views and opinions on AMC2, I think, would be just be really helpful for people to Great. Um, have a listen to. I'm just going to ask you a few questions that... Um, we've been receiving on social media and you can answer them just as truthfully as you like and then we'll see where it goes and we'll see if you can maybe give the listeners a bit more guidance as to whether the AMC2 might be for them. Perfect. Right. It's important to note that these are probably just Brendan's opinions but we can see where it takes us. So we'll start off just with why did you choose to do the AMC2? Did you know that WBA was an option? Um, so it was still back in South Africa when I was exploring options of coming to South Africa, um, to Australia, um, and looking at the pathways on the AMC website and also on the opera website. I did see that there was a, um, examination and also a WBA. And then I had to then explore, all right, what was, what was entailing to actually do the exam versus a WBA. And what really played a big part was firstly the availability of an AMC exam or a clinical exam versus the availability of getting into a WBA program. And this is so true as well. Like we've um, stressed the point multiple times to most of the people that have asked us questions about the WBA that it actually isn't, you don't have the luxury of saying, I'll do the WBA or I'll do part two. It's more like if you get the opportunity to get a job in a hospital that actually offers a WBA that you actually can go down that pathway. It's not really an either or type situation. And most people will find themselves in the position where they would have to do the AMC2. Correct. So I had a job offer from a Australian hospital in a regional area and that hospital did not have a WBA program. Um, I was happy with that at that point. Um, I did say, fine, I'm happy to write an exam. Um, I just felt fine. It would be okay. I just have to prepare for it. And so it just fell into it that I was then going to be streaming myself into a clinical exam. Um, so yes, availability was the one factor. Um, second factor was cost or financial. Um, I had to then also weigh up, did I actually have enough um, capital to actually spend on a WBA program yeah, versus well, then an AMC exam. Well, currently, the WBA program is about three times the price. So it is a yes. huge consideration. Um, I was actually looking back on how much I actually paid for the AMC2 exam. Uh, so I paid for it last year, June. And it was roughly, it was $3,265, mm-hmm. Australian dollars, and for that exam. WBA that I paid for was about $9,000 Australian. Yeah. So um, huge very Huge big difference. difference to fork out that amount of money in one go as well. It is. Which is what they want. Yeah. It is. So, uh, yes. I mean, I think, you know, weighing up the options of AMC2 exam versus a WBA, it's a very personalized decision. Mm-hmm. And you need to weigh up both um, pros and cons. 
Okay. And then did you know the re- reputation of the AMC2? It's obviously renowned for its reputation of having such a high failure rate. Um, and that's what puts a lot of people off. It's certainly what put me off. Did you know? I'll be honest with you. Um, all I knew that was an exam. You didn't um, know that you could fail so easily? <laughs> <laughs> um, not at that point in time. You know, I so was, you booked your exam not so knowing that the, the no, failure no, rate's like 30%. No, no, no. I, so my intention was to write the exam. And when I then went to the regional hospital in Australia, I got there and then people asked me, well, how am I going to be getting my general registration? And I said, well, I'm going to be writing the exam. It was met with a lot of wide-eyed people. No one said anything. And also a bit of gasping. (laughs) And they did say, well, have you written it before? And I said, no. And they said, do you know that people failed the exam? (laughs) And I said, tell me more. So, yes, I actually, I didn't know that it had a high failure rate or that it was perceived as being difficult mm. before coming to Australia. Um, I'll be honest with you, I never had a lot of networking done in South Africa to decide, you know, what is it all about, what I should do about it. I just went to the hospital, started working there, and I started then to talk to people and gain an insight into mm. it. And I think why they were gasping at what you were saying is that I think it's very, very common for people to do this exam more than once. It is. So sometimes when people are considering the cost and certainly what we were thinking as well, because we did know the reputation of um, having such a high failure rate, that often people would do it two or three times, in which case it would cost the same as doing a WBA anyway, because you do have to pay the full fee again and again. Of course. And I did meet people that actually wrote it twice or Mm. failed twice. Um, um, and then they either went on, you know, to other means, another WBA mm. program or try and write it a third time. So, uh, yeah, I had the fortunate opportunity to meet people who have gone through this process. Yeah. And fortunately for Brendan, he passed first time, which is really huge accomplishment. Oh, so we're really proud of him. Thank you. It's, yeah, it was a humbling experience. Um, <laughs> I must say I did have a lot of help from a lot of work colleagues um, that I was working at with. And, um, yeah, I wouldn't have been able to have done it without them. So tell us a little bit about the structure of the assessment. How were you assessed? Mm. I believe it's station-based. Yes. Yeah. So with the advent of COVID, um, the the AMC exam had to stop for a while and then they had to then try and then reincorporate it because they were having about maybe, maybe every month they were having a clinical exam and it was all in person before COVID. Then they had to then put it as an online or computer-based examination and for the, I think for the first year, uh, I think in 2021, it was purely computer-based. And then they did realize that they needed to also then accommodate for people who weren't comfortable with that or to try and find a means to accommodate people who were willing to travel to Melbourne. And so then it was a combination of both on online or an in-person. And you could choose when you actually applied online. So for me, um, at that point in time, with me being very far away from Melbourne, I felt the the most appropriate way would just be an online exam, so I didn't have to then pay for travelling costs, put in you know time for leave, and then to go down. And also with COVID at that point in time, flights and states were being well, flights were being cancelled, states were closing off borders. So I just thought, let me just nullify all of that, go with an online exam. So brave, thank you. <laughs> um, so. The online exam and also the in-person exam has the same concepts of how they evaluate the doctor. There's a total of 20 stations 
Four of them are rest stations, and then there's another 16 stations in which it's either a history-taking station, a clinical exam station, or perhaps maybe discussion of management or counselling stations. And of those 16 stations, two of them are actually test stations for future examinations. So they don't really count towards your score. If you pass them, all good and well. If you fail them, all good and well. It just doesn't count. You are then actually left with 14 stations that you are assessed with. And in order to pass, you have to pass 10 of those stations. Um, and then you said it was online? Was yes. it over Zoom or how, how did you do that? So you have so what happens is that uh, you have to be downloading a protected browser, mm-hmm. um, which is issued by the AMC itself. And that browser then allows you to run Zoom. So you have to have Zoom installed onto your computer. Um, and they give you also recommendate or um, certain types of um, regulations on what size computer it needs to be. Um, I think at that point in time, you couldn't run a Mac or an Apple. No. Um, Cutting out 50% of users. <laughs> yes. <laughs> for some. <laughs> so I think it might have changed, but yet at that point in time, you had to actually, you, know, you couldn't use an Apple Mac, and you had to have a screen size of at least, I think, maybe 13 inches or 15 inches. Um, so, and then at least then your processor was fast enough to actually then run the uh, protected browser and zoom. How's your computer skills? It's, 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 it's okay. Um, it's, uh, you know, for the examination wise, um, you don't need, uh, skills to type. Mm. Um, you just need to know on how to be presenting yourself in front of the computer. Yep. And obviously, you know, have a reasonable quality camera. Yes. And so um, set up your laptop in the way that, you know. Yes. You so your laptop had to have a webcam. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I could be mistaken, um, but I don't know if you're allowed to actually have a separate webcam put on. It had to be built in with your computer, but I, I stand to be corrected. Hmm. You also had to have a mouse, actually two mouses, um, in case one messed up, you had a spare to actually still then use as okay. well. Okay. Did you go out and buy an extra mouse? And yes, I did. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> All so. Right. So just to just to prevent any problems that could actually occur whilst you are doing an online exam. And again, also, you have to have a very good internet connection. Mm. Uh, with that protected web browser, that actually then puts you through a process to test your upload speed mm-hmm. and your download speed to actually see that it is viable for that examination to run. Sounds pretty well um, organized. It is. It yeah. is. I must say it is. It was well organized. Um, and, you know, there was glitches. I even had glitches myself or so. But yet I think they after I think one or two or three trial runs of the online exams, they were trying to polish it out. But, uh, yeah, I think it was a job well done. Um, I, well, for me, the only issues that I had is I had a re- hailstorm. Oh, so no. Sound. That, that cut <laughs> my, my, uh, my reception out. And then I think it was a general um, group where the whole um, system went down for a couple of months or so. But they got you back online. They and gave sorted you it out. And sorted yeah. it out, obviously. Okay. And, you know, you still progressed as is. So there was okay. no problem or in- interference on the time that you actually had with the mm. patients. Good. Um, I know the next one is pretty much a loaded question. But in I suppose in summary, how did you prepare for the AMC2? I'm sure there's lots of people out there yes. that are trying to prepare. And, um, so... There are courses available. Yeah. Yes, there's there's a lot of things available. And um, so I did a lot of talking to people, f- trying to fathom out what they've done. Um, I can give you a lowdown of what other people have done and what, or essentially what I did. Um, I I got a few notes from one of our work colleagues that I went through. 
Um, and then I felt, okay, I do really maybe need to do some type of course. Um, even though medicine is medicine from a biological perspective, you need to understand that systems are different and expectations are different. Yeah, the Australian context. And, yes. Yeah. And also, um, you know, a child who's failing to thrive in South Africa have very different diagnoses or you know, differentials versus a child failing to thrive in Australia. Definitely. I mean, you know, a child failing to thrive in South Africa would be malnutrition, HIV, perhaps TB. In Australia, it's galactosemia, celiac disease, and perhaps maybe, you know, house domestic issues. Yeah, literally worlds apart. It's worlds apart. And you just actually have to put your mind in a different uh, perspective when you do now trying to now think of differentials. So I did go through a course. Um, so there's a few courses that are out there. I know and I think they're quite highly recommended for the um, for the part two exam. I know yes. um, Caroline and I, when we did our talk on, on AMC1, we did say, you know, mm, if you didn't do a course for AMC1, it would probably be okay if you could study. But I think for AMC2, it seems that most people that are su- successful are the people that are doing yes. the courses. So and I think it probably is necessary. And I do see the value in that. Um, it does teach you, you know, the firstly, the way of thinking in which the AMC exam is looking for. It does also teach you what differentials, what you need to look for. And also it does teach you on how to structure yourself on when you are actually approaching the patient mm. and also how you present yourself to the examiners. So... The course that I did was actually, it was a online course that was offered by a doctor in, in a regional hospital in central Queensland. She did have ties to the Melbourne-based system before. And so she offered two things. It was either you paid a subscription to her website and you watched all her videos at a baseline price for three months or six months, or you could do um, online live classes with her. But then that was then at a premium and also you had to have scheduled times. Mm. Unfortunately, I was working full-time currently with the regional hospital. So I never had the luxury to then take off eight weeks and venture down to Melbourne or, you know, do the live courses with her. So I just paid a subscription to her website for six months. And I literally in my spare time just sat down and listened to her videos. Yeah. And And it's nice that she had that option as well. Yes. For busy people or... Um, say people studying from other countries with mm. time differences and things. So that's yeah. I think that's a really good alternative. And I must say, uh, I commend her that she did a good job. Yeah. Well, you, well, you passed. So her Thank course you. clearly um, does do something. Thank you. Um, you know, so yes, I think you know these courses are valid. Um, it teaches you a lot of um, nuanced things that the Australian system wants. And I think also you just need to be reading a certain text. And to become familiar with a clinical examination, which Australian um, systems aspire to. Um, so that would be your Tally O'Connor yep. clinical examination. I know in South Africa, some guys were doing Hutchison or something else. And some other guys were doing Tally O'Connor. I was fortunately, my undergrad was with Tally O'Connor. Ours as well. So that was in a benefit because it is an Australian text. And I didn't know that. I didn't know Tally yeah. O'Connor was an Australian um, textbook. It's a wonderful textbook. I still yes. refer to it yeah. every day. No, it's, um, it's good. It is a, a really good foundation for any learning. So and it's a good place to start, I suppose. Yeah, for very MC2. true. Very yeah. true. And a lot of the doctors were saying, you know, okay, you can do those courses. If you wanted another text to be reading, um, they would have then used it in AMC1, which was the Murtaugh's general practice. Yes. Um, so... You know, 
those were basically the two things that were resonating through a lot of people and to try and try and do a course. So I managed okay. just to do that course and it was it was good. Um, it suited my time frames mm. and also my limitations that I had. Okay. And then you mentioned that you were working at the time of studying and um, preparing for the assessment. Do you think actually working in an Australian context benefited you um, in preparation for your exam and gave you sort of a different way of looking at things? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, if I had to have prepared for it back at home, I would still be in a mindset, you know, in a South African context. Yes. Um, and also what helped me is that I went to go work in the emergency department of this regional hospital. So it gave me exposure again to pediatrics, to mm. obstetrics and Bit gynecology. So what I actually did is that when I started to see patients after I've you know, started you know, practicing or studying for the MC2, I would actually practice the approaches with the patients. And what it actually did, it actually made me a lot more efficient in, you know, time-wise with the ED patients and also how I would refer to the patient, uh, oh, refer so to helped, the doctors. You helped your actual practice as well as helping you study. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Especially also with the psychiatric patients. Mm. Um, you know, I would go through a certain technique which was taught or so. I mean, it's a mnemonic. And, you know, if you had to then use that mnemonic and, and present it to the, um, the acute care team or the psychiatrist, even with the pediatric uh, pediatricians, um, I would say there's the danger questions were asked. Yeah, sick child questions. Sick child questions. <laughs> yeah. Bins is all covered. They know exactly what you're talking about. Mm. So I think, you know, Australia has been schooled in a nuanced way. And if you have then practiced in the system a bit, you start to learn the lingo. Yes. You know, there's a good saying in business culture whereby if you want to go global, you have to go local. <laughs> And it's so true, even if you're wanting to now learn on how to practice in a new system. And I, and I suppose if you're referring a patient to um, a registrar or a certain specialty and you are using their lingo, they automatically think that you know what you're doing. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, I would, I would really recommend that um, to actually get into the system, work in the system for a while, if you could, if you have the opportunity or the privilege to do that. And that really helped me with the AMC2 exam, I have no doubt. And that's, I think, why we encourage people a lot to, after they've got their AMC1, with the only limited registration, you know, you can work with limited registration. Yes. It, you don't have to wait for AMC2 no. to no. actually start applying for a job. And in, in fact, you're actually quite hireable even just with AMC1. Yeah, yeah. Another thing I wanted to ask, with WBA, I felt that what I loved about it, a lot of, it has a lot of benefits, but one of the things that I did love about it was that with the assessment, it felt quite authentic because um, we'd get taken to the patient's bedside and we were tested on very similar aspects. When we had a look, Brendan, at the assessment sheets and you mentioned, you know, that it was very similar to the AMC part two very assessment true. sheets. But the difference would be is that we would have the examiner and that he would take us to a patient that was usually in the hospital that we were at. Not only were you sort of, used to that examiner because they are doctors that you potentially would have worked with before would you so you have that edge it's also in a hospital that you know you'd be examining the patient just as you would every single other day so it felt very authentic yeah. um just wanted to know in terms of you dealing with the patients I, I'm, I'm assuming it was not real patients that you were um it was on. it was simulated patients yeah so okay. you know they were actors um yeah. and you know they've been schooled on what to say how yep. to present or so but did it feel um like, I know it couldn't feel as authentic, but did, did you at least feel comfortable or was it just a very pressurized 
clearly an exam situation where it was all very, you know, put on. Um, I think this would then go back to, you know, on how know, know your strengths and your weaknesses mm. and your limitations. Um, for me, fortunately, I've been able to ha- be comfortable in speaking and in presenting mm. or presenting yourself. Mm. Um, and so when I was in front of a computer, I know I was talking to someone over a screen, so it was in live time, it was to a real person, but it just didn't have that, you know, that authenticity of standing next to someone, yep. being at the bedside. Yep. Although, you know, when you, if people have done the AMC2 clinical exam in person, it would then probably feel like a full-on clinical exam and that familiarity that they've gone through before is there. Yep. So that might have been a bit of a difference. But for me, I just realized, fine, this is what it is. I just have to perform as if I was actually doing a clinical exam because that's what I know what I do. Yeah, just get your head right. I just suppose. get your head right. Mm. It's a psychological aspect. It, it really is. And so you have to know yourself. Yeah. Really, you do. Okay. And um, did you think that the assessments were at the level of a final year student? That's what they always say, hey, that this is, um, these assessments are all to the level of a final year grad in Australia and at the level that all interns would be assumed to be at. Yes. Do you feel that was fair? Uh, yes, I yeah. think so. Um, because, you know, working with interns and also medical students in Australian system, um, you could quickly gauge the level at which they are at and their skill set and how they think and their knowledge. So when I was then being assessed, I had to also consciously remind myself that I needed to take myself back to being an intern or a final year medical student Mm -hmm. and stick with the basics because that's what they want. They wanted to see that you are able to know the basics at the level of a final year medical student and so... And be safe. And be safe. That's all. I think the problem with having a bit of experience when you come into these things is like, you know, coming right back down to the fundamentals again. Yes. When you're so used to sort of doing a lot of the steps automatically in your head without actually saying them out loud. Yeah. Um, and getting to the end point. Yeah, very it's Kind true. of like a, in, in school when you do maths and you have to show you're working. <laughs> Definitely. Exactly and the same. You know, I think it's also, you know, some people might see it as a invasion on their ego, on their ability or their, you know, competence as a doctor, especially when you've practiced for so many years. Hmm. Now, when you're then being asked basics again, some people may feel it uncomfortable. Some people may feel or taken aback that it's an insult. But you just have to realize that it is what it is mm. and you have to just ride with the wave. And in defense of sort of, you know, the Australian healthcare system, getting uh, immigrant doctors from all over the world, it must be very difficult to standardize, you know, the level of yes. the care that's going to come into their country. And I actually, I understand why they have to yes. have these um, procedures yes. and things. Like it, it, it is terrible. Even if you have a bit of experience, like it's it's horrible to have to feel like you're doing all these tests all over again or being assessed all over again when you feel like you are already good enough. But I totally get where they're coming from. Definitely. I, yeah, I feel and like it's necessary that they have these. And, you know, I met I met doctors um, who were really good doctors, um, you know, from other parts of the world, even South African doctors, and they struggled to pass the exam. I know a couple that failed twice. Um, I know another doctor who came to Australia years ago, but it he actually took five years hmm. to actually pass the AMC2 exam. I suppose this probably follows on for our next question. Why do you think that people are failing at this rate? Why do you think the failure rate is so high? What, what is the sore point here? Because like you said, there's 
good doctors that you've worked with. Yes. Um, there's been doctors from countries um, that are English speaking that are failing. Because I know a lot of people, there was a lot of um, uh, thought that perhaps a language had a lot to do with it and getting your points across if you weren't good at English, that maybe you, things were getting lost in translation. But why do you think that people are failing at this rate? Um. I think my opinion is going to come through then all the people that I've encountered where they failed and I've tried to then assess then why. You what know. is the difference between them and you? Yes, yeah. also. Um, so, you know, I had a couple from South Africa. Um, they failed twice and they were very good clinicians. Um, so why? W- and their English was good. Hmm. Um, so the question is then why were they failing? And I never really went into depth, you know, after they've wrote the exams, why or so. But... Um, one thing, firstly, is that, you know, are you delivering what they want? And that's basics. Um, yeah. You perhaps don't want to be overstepping that boundary from there. Not saying that this is the reason why they did fail, but, you know, it could be a possibility. I stand to be corrected. But I think the first thing is that you need to deliver what they want and yeah. know what they want. You've and kind of got to put everything that you know aside and learn to deliver, not what you know to be true or right, but you need to deliver what you think that they would want to yes. hear. Yes, and the basics yeah. at a final year medical student. In so Australian context. In Australian context. Yeah. So I think that would be one reason why people fail. Um, second, definitely communication. Yeah. I think, you know, how you present yourself, how you sell yourself, how confident you come across. Hmm. They would also appreciate that because if you are confident in your sayings and your management or in your differentials, whatever, um, that would also then show the patient that they can trust you. And I think there's an underlying component where the AMC, they also would ask then the simulated patient, what do you think of that doctor who has just seen you? Hmm. And they might also have an input into Hmm. the the final examination. I could be wrong, but... It's interesting that you say that as well, though, because one of the things that I've noticed, and I've told everyone that I've noticed since I've been working here, is that... um, even very inexperienced doctors here that are local graduates or Australian doctors that are very young or have just qualified, I'm um, taken aback by how well they can carry themselves and the confidence at which they carry themselves. Even if their medical knowledge is, you know, lacking or the experience isn't there, they still are able to come forward as sort of a professional person, um, which is something that I don't think that we learned as doctors until, you know, until certainly for myself, maybe three years post-grad was probably where I was carrying myself at the level that the interns are carrying themselves here right out of um, university. So it's interesting that you say that that's probably, I I would agree because it seems that that's kind of the professionalism that they're trying to create. Like, I think so. Um, You know, there is an expectation from a, from being a medical professional that you should carry some dignity and some pride and some confidence and you have to allow that to percolate when you are actually you know, presenting yourself or even asking the questions to the patient, the simulated patient. So communication was is the one spe- aspect. Then we could even divulge into English. Hmm. Um, we have a lot of you know listeners that come from countries that aren't first English speaking. Um, and I've actually been quite humbled to see some of the doctors who have come through that have learned English and have passed the AMC exam. We have a we have a few South American doctors that you know could not speak English and they learned English. I um chatted about this in my barriers talk as well that I've just got the biggest respect. Yes, there are people that I've met that mm. um 
are practicing medicine just alongside me that have only learned English, like, you know, three years back. It's like me saying, you know, in three years from now, I'll be practicing the whole of medicine in Spanish. Exactly. It's impossible. It's, it's, it's really enlightening and inspiring to see it that. And for inspiring. me, I can't even, I can speak English and a little bit of Afrikaans, like a little bit. And it, I spent 12 years studying Afrikaans <laughs> and I can't speak anything else, unfortunately. So, so again, back to the English. Um, do you have to speak English very, very well to pass the exam? I'll give you another example. Um, again, a work colleague, um, she's Vietnamese. And she even said herself, you know, Brent, I don't speak English very well. I know that. And... She failed the first time around. Um, she actually got nine, past nine out of uh, nine stations. So she just missed it by one station. And we had a chat. We tried to troubleshoot, you know, where she could improve or so. And she then wrote the exam six months later. And her English didn't improve in six months. But she passed the exam. Hmm. So a Vietnamese doctor who doesn't speak English as a first language managed to pass it on the second time. Whereas then you have doctors coming from countries where they speak English as their first language, not being able to pass it on their second time. So I feel like um, although language might probably play a part, it's more how you communicate your points. It's how you communicate your point and giving them what they want, which is the basics. Mm. And I think that's what played in her, uh, in as, as her strength mm. second time around. And she actually said, you know, Brent, I don't know how to speak English well, you know that, but yet I managed to pass and she, and her second time, I think she got 12 out of 14 stations. Oh, excellent. So she did reasonably well. Mm. So, Yeah, so um, I suppose the next question I'd have is, if you had failed, would you have paid again and done it again? Or would you have sort of gunned for a WBA? So, yes, so that did go through my mind. Mm. I mean, you know, when I finished the exam, I said, okay, it was a fair exam, I have to admit. Um, what is the worst case scenario? I could have passed, I mean, could have failed. So I needed to then make contingency plans. And so what personally what I was then looking for is that fine. I perhaps maybe need to then go to a hospital in which would then offer a WBA program so that in future where it be a year or two, I could fall back on that. You could have that option. I could have that option. But yet I would still give the AMC2 exam another try. Okay. Um, I did say fine, you know, if I do fail, I'll apply for it again um, and then give it go a second time around. And the reasons being is that I know the process. Um, I've worked already um, towards it. And second, thirdly as well then from a cost perspective. Yeah. WBA is 9,000. <laughs> AMC 2 is 3,500. Um, right, Brendan. To end off, what advice would you give um, other IMGs that are studying for the part two AMC? Um, good question. I think there's going to be a lot of factors that you have to consider. Firstly, I think you need to know your strengths as a person and as a doctor, um, how well you communicate and what you can do to improve those communication skills. Um, work on your English. Fine-tune it. Like I said, there's been people that can speak it. They can't really so well. Some pass, some fail. But, you know, at the end of the day, also have to look towards the future whereby you're going to be working in an English-based system for many years so there's no harm in fine-tuning English and lastly is the part about knowing what they want and being able to deliver that in in a good concise and confident manner 
And if that means that you have to go through courses um, and also, you know, do role playing with other friends, other colleagues or so, um, do anything that really helps you. I think that's going to be the most important thing. And also have a contingency plan. If you see yourself maybe not being able to pass first time around, what are you going to do afterwards? Are you going to decide to ride it the second time or the third time? Or should you start to look at other means so that you can have that path to general registration? I think those would be the crux of the matter. Really. I think um, that's really, really helpful advice. And I think it's going to give a lot of listeners insight as to whether this is for them and how they can start preparing for it. Um, I think that's pretty much all the questions I have. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and taking the time job. out of your busy schedule to chat about this. Um, it's always nice having you and chatting to you about it. Thanks, Ash. It's, yeah, it's great to be here. Um, humbling experience, like I said before, and yeah, I'm happy to help out where I can, but um, good luck to everyone else. Awesome. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. If you liked what you hear in this podcast and you like this whole series and you want to hear more about moving your medical career to Australia, find us on social media at Code Australia and have a look at our YouTube channel where we put exclusive videos up and podcasts that are very similar to these ones as well with more information about AMCs and the standard pathway and how to move your medical career to Australia. Thanks for listening and we'll see you in the next part of the series.